Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. No, Ron Rivera is not hosting this week's Hidden Yardage. It's still myself, Mark Lane, and Sean Martin, but uh, that clip is just too good not to play because that summarizes Washington's season and just the comedy that is the NFC playoff picture. Sean, what did you make of that, of those comments from Rivera? Hey, good to be back with you, Mark. Did Ron Rivera not know that, you know, he was playing Carson Wentz in a game where it still had implications? I mean, there's varying comments on just how bad this of a look this is for Ron Rivera. At first, I didn't think it was all that bad, but then you realize, like, the worst case scenario is if he thought their game was meaningless, kind of like it was for the Titans against the Cowboys this past week, and that everything to play for was in the next week's game. So that's why you play Carson Wentz. But you know, they just tied their wagon to Carson Wentz in a losing you out type of game where then their faith was decided by the Packers who blew out the Minnesota Vikings. And that's a horrible look for Rivera. And I think Wentz played how we all expected Wentz to play, which is pretty poorly and threw to three interceptions. It is amazing that it took until week 17 for, you know, a team like the commanders in the NFC East to be eliminated. So I guess on that hand, it shows just how strong the division was this year, but Sure enough, yes, Ron, your team is out. Yeah, it reminds me almost of like something George Costanza would do. You know, I, I can just see it now on Seinfeld 2023. You're telling me that you played Carson Wentz in a playoff elimination game? <laughs> Jerry, how was I supposed to know we were going to be eliminated in week 17? <laughs> I, I was told that, that this game was meaningless. Then Kramer busts in. You know, my friend Bob Sacamano, he got he tried to get into the playoffs with a tie. Turns out it's not a game result, Jerry. You actually have to wear a necktie. That's what they don't tell you. So I that just to me seems that whole thing seems like I could picture Kramer busting out of a Viking set. He's like, Well, you know, if Kirk Cousins wins, we still got a chance, and then we all know how that played out. <laughs> oh, but uh yeah, that's definitely uh muddied things up for the NFC playoff picture. Now Far be it from us to try to figure out what the NFC playoff picture would look like. So if you want to hear that, go ahead and listen. First and 10, uh, those boys do a good job of breaking everything down. And you know that it's legitimate because they also have someone from Jersey on their podcast too. Yeah, I really do appreciate that, uh, you know, the fact that both of our Monday shows start the week on this network, which, by the way, RJ Ochoa let us know that, you know, the network has done so well this year, and it really is amazing to, uh, you know, go into the new year, 
with an all-time high at Blogging the Boys, and hopefully we have tons of playoff success to talk about, so we'll get into that in a minute here. But, yeah, a little Josie Foyo to start the day, a little Josie Foyo in the afternoon, and Jess does a great job in the morning with the daily show. So, you know, in my completely biased opinion, Monday is obviously by far the best day here at the Blogging the Boys podcast network. Yeah, I think that uh, that should be the new promo for 2023. Start your Cowboys week off right on the Jersey Turnpike. With first and ten. <laughs> well, I don't and, know how right that is. Uh, I avoided the turnpike on my Christmas trip in, so that, that was all good there. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, we're having a good time here on Hidden Yardage uh, just because Cowboys fans evidently were miserable because their team won on Thursday yeah, come on, night. So. I just do not understand this, Mark. I mean – unfamiliar opponent, nothing to play for, still a lot of talent. You're trying to, you know, scout them while also coming off an emotional win against the Eagles. You're also trying to look ahead to what, you know, week 18 could be as far as are you playing, are you resting, what are the commanders coming in to do? And then you're looking at all your playoff scenarios. I mean, there's so much other than just what was at stake for the four quarters that the Cowboys played in Tennessee. And yet they still won by double digits. They still gave away six points off of turnovers, which, you know, I know we talked last week, Turnovers may be an inevitable part of Dak Prescott's game, at least in the short term. So in the moment, you can't do anything about that. But if you take those away for a second, you know, that's six of Tennessee's 14 points that they scored in this game. So then you might have even seen the more lopsided result that I think Cowboys fans were you know, determined to have to see. So, look, it's late in the season. The Eagles have been, you know, talked about as the best team in the league all season long. It's so tiring as a Cowboys fan to hear how great the Eagles are. Now, even they're facing, you know, a crisis, if you will, and some adversity at the end of the season. And their season could be thrown off the rails, go, you know, right at the opportune time to go into the playoffs, even though they have 13 wins. So would you rather be them or would you rather, you know, continuing to enjoy these wins like the Cowboys fans should be, but just seem to not be the case, you know, coming out of that Titans win, which was pretty impressive in its own right, just the way that you know, you're able to take care of business. And now we're talking about them being able to go into week 18 off a win, which is a whole lot better. Here's what I noticed, Sean, about that win is I've got my barometers when it comes to the Cowboys fan base, just how I leverage my social media follows. And it was really the Cowboys fans out in the rest of the country, you know, the fans of America's team, let's say, that – this was probably their first time to actually sit down and watch Cowboys game because the whole season, you know, they've just seen the highlights or the NFL replay, or really you can watch 15 minutes worth of highlights on YouTube. Uh, that's, you know, very helpful if your team's way out of market. And it was like these people showed up and finally got to see a, a, a full Cowboys game for one of the rare times this season. And it was those people that were just complaining and upset about the win and how Dallas was playing throughout the game. So I think it's really a vocal minority that gets highlighted by really a lot of people that want to defend Dak Prescott and just, you know, defend the star and so forth, that they're tilting at these windmills and giving them a platform that, frankly, they shouldn't have. That was another thing I noticed, too. Now, I don't hate Dak Prescott or, you know, anything like that. Far be it from that. But I noticed when Dak threw 
that pick that you know was deflected by Peyton Endershot and so forth. There were so many people who came from the hills to defend Dak Prescott on that. I thought there is no way in the world that there's a majority of people of the Cowboys fan base that dislikes this guy. Because look how many people came out of the hills just to defend him. So that's number one. And then I noticed that, like I said, going back to the vocal minority aspect, I noticed that, you know, there's someone that, you know, gets to wear a lanyard, let's call it, that quote tweeted someone that was an angry Cowboys fan over an interception or something. And then the, you know, lanyard (laughs) personnel put Cowboys fans ringing in the new year angry. It was like, no, that Kazo is not representative of Cowboys fans in 2022. You can say some. Don't say Cowboys fans and make that guy the the new rowdy of the fan base. That's unfair. So that's what I've noticed about all this. Cowboys fans being unhappy about the win. It's highlighting, it's aggregating a bunch of people who frankly don't need a platform. Well, of course. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, I've enjoyed the most about covering this team specifically is, you know, the opinions you get from all over the place. I mean, it's like one of those things that you ask yourself, do other fan bases, you know, disagree this much? And sometimes you'll have to assume that the answer is a stark no, because, you know, if you're in like a Bengals message board, let's say, chances are you're talking with a lot of people, 90% or higher, that are all, you know, in the Cincinnati area, or at least in Ohio. And, you know, so that creates a certain, you know, vacuum of opinions on the team. But with Cowboys fans, you know, they come up in so many different shapes, sizes, everything, you know, your perspective on football, you can be from the South where it means so much, or you can be from anywhere and see, you know, football differently, depending on where that is. And we even get tweets from international fans a lot, which is amazing here at Blogging the Boys. So, and you get to so many different backgrounds in football that all try to come together and share an opinion on, you know, the most valuable team in the league. Well, yeah, you're going to have some of that. But if I can for a second, you know, Cowboys fans, just as a Cowboys fan, two fellow fans listening, we need to do such a better job of just slowing the hell down and appreciating, you know, what it is this team is really doing. That's not to get ahead of ourselves and say that they're Super Bowl favorites or anything crazy like that. But I just remember last year, you know, I didn't do a great job of this. I don't think it was my first year living in Texas. So I was like amazed and, oh, wow, I'm here in Texas and the Cowboys are already doing great. Like, this is destiny. This is going to be, you know, the Super Bowl team. And that was being echoed all the way up through, you know, the big time media in Dallas, one of five feet of fan. Everybody was, you know, off to the races from week five on about looking at this team through the lens of, are they a Super Bowl or not? You know, every mistake was criticized. If I go, well, that can't happen in a playoff game. And it's week six, you know? So I think we've done a better job of forgetting that this year and appreciating these weeks. But, you know, the Titans game, it didn't feel that way. This is a team going to the playoffs for the first time in back-to-back seasons since 2006, 2007. So what should be the standard just hasn't been. If you look at how long it really has been, the new standard now under Mike McCarthy, though, is that you're going to the playoffs consistently. That's only a positive, of course. You have a chance to, you know, avenge last year's 49ers loss where McCarthy himself said that he sensed his team, you know, wasn't really ready or they were nervous or all these things. I don't think that'll happen this year because this team, you know, was in a tight game with a bad Titans team up until halftime and that didn't phase them and they came out 
and did what they did. They've had other resilient wins, not only this year, but last year as well. So there's so much to like about this team going into the playoffs. Again, you can compare them to, would you rather be the Eagles, who have all these wins under their belt, sure, but now they're facing so many issues, and I think those issues do stem beyond just what Jalen Hurts can give them when he gets back in the lineup. So the level of concern with Philadelphia, I think, should be pretty high right now. You would rather be the Cowboys, I think, again, going to the playoffs for the first time in consecutive seasons since 06, 07. That is a big thing that cannot be taken for granted. It should be celebrated. And we can talk about how they should handle week 18, having it already wrapped up, but still playing for seeding, still playing for the number one seed is pretty amazing as well. And this is a team that hasn't won a road playoff game since 1992, the NFC Championship game on the way to a Super Bowl win against Buffalo. They beat the 49ers on the road, and then nothing to speak of as far as a road playoff win. So, you know, the fact that they're still playing for home field is very important, and it means a lot, and it shows just a lot of heart that this team has that, you know, I don't think fans have really stepped back to appreciate this year. At the same time, they haven't talked about them as just being that Super Bowl or bust type of team, but we're getting closer to that because you're talking about them being in the playoffs consecutively. And, you know, only then can you talk about being a mainstay in the playoffs if you want to truly be a contender, which we think this Cowboys team is about to be. Let's go ahead and get into the playoffs and just uh, take a look at who they could face as well as how they stack up against the rest of the NFC. So we'll take a look at the division winners. Then we'll take a look at the wildcard teams because I don't think they're going to face any of the wild card teams because what you would need to happen is in divisional round you'd need the wild card team to have won in the wild card round make the division upset the um number one seed and then the lowest of the highest of the lowest remaining or whatever you just it just asks way too much but we'll do it anyway because it's fun and it could happen um so Dallas versus Tampa Bay, what do you think? I think only under this circumstance. If they have a turnover-laden game that, and they cannot generate a pass rush, a la really the blueprint from the Jacksonville game, they lose. Otherwise, I like Dallas against Tampa Bay. I think most Cowboys fans would agree with you there. You know, it's amazing. I can't say I've tightly sat down to watch, you know, every snap of many Bucks games this year, but it just seems like these past couple of weeks, especially, you know, you get the Cliff Notes version of it and you get the red zone highlights and it seems like every week it's like, oh, they're up against the ropes against an inferior opponent. How is Carolina doing this to them? How is New Orleans doing this to them? Insert, you know, team that they should be handling much better here and they're just putting Tampa Bay on the ropes, but then they can't finish because if you give the ball to Tom Brady late in a close game, we all, of course, know what happens. And he did that again on Sunday to Carolina to end their playoff chances. And, you know, the fact that the Panthers are being talked about this late in the season as a playoff team after having a fire sale midseason doesn't speak well to the Bucs who let them stay right in this division race. So, yeah, it is a beatable Bucks team. I think the best thing for the Cowboys going into a potential playoff game is knowing exactly that about Tom Brady, knowing that you know you have to put him away and play aggressively to not let him you know decide your fate in the last two minutes, which he of course did in the season opener last season, which is a game in Tampa Bay, like this playoff game will be, and then this year's Cowboys Bucks game played out so differently. But those teams, what's to say, don't exist anymore. You know that Cowboys team from Week One, we haven't seen them play like that really at all this season. Even when Cooper Russ came in, it got better, which was a remarkable way to save the season early on. And then Tampa Bay hasn't really played that well at all at any point, especially not down the stretch here. But 
if we want to talk about actual constructive criticism out of the Titans game and not just the Cowboys should be winning by more, what's happening? They needed to, you know, play more aggressively on the early downs. They needed to get away from playing offense as if the goal was to get to throw down and manageable and then have Dak Prescott bail you out. And I think that's the type of game plan that you would be forced to use against Tampa Bay. You know, we would need to see early down throws from Prescott and just trying to score with every drive, you know, have the mentality that Brady's going to get in the end zone every time, even though that might not be the case. You can trust Dan Quinn's defense to get a turnover here or there. You can trust, you know, just the Bucks' offense to kind of hurt themselves too. They have a lot of penalties and the offensive line has been in samples at times and pass protection. You know, you can get Parsons going like he had those two sacks in week one. So you can trust your defense to still make their presence felt in this game. But on offense, you know, the best way to play it is treat it like you need to score on every drive and that just means Kellen Moore calling an aggressive game and the type of game that we haven't seen in the last couple of weeks, but, you know, some benefit no doubt is deserved of him when it comes to kind of saving the best of the playoffs and just trying to get the most out of an offense that's featuring T.Y. Hilton a lot more, which I really like, and C.D. Lamb coming into his own, and of course, you know, expecting Tony Pollard back would be a huge boost as well. So I like the Cowboys matchup with the Bucks a lot, but only as much as you know, having to put that big asterisk next to it of you're playing Tom Brady, you better come prepared and you better be ready to put the game away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and then you go to the San Francisco 49ers who have a, yeah, who basically have the New Year's Eve newborn baby uh, at quarterback in Brock Purdy, you know, compared to old man father time Tom Brady for the Buccaneers. And you've got the 49ers still rolling even with Debo Samuel injured and but they get into a an offensive showdown with the Las Vegas Raiders and they pull it out in an overtime 37 34 but still the 49ers present just this juggernaut kind of like what they were last year Mark Sanchez on the broadcast brought up something interesting of why the Raiders were able to exploit the 49ers' defense, put up 34 points on them. He said that they showed that the Raiders showed them multiple looks at the line of scrimmage, and then called their plays based on that. I think with Dallas, with an experienced offensive mind like Kellen Moore, with Dak Prescott, who's been in the system as long as he has, I think that he could you know, take advantage the way Jared Stidham did. And Stidham still throwing a couple of crucial interceptions in this game. The Raiders also stopped on fourth down, but in one of his interceptions came in overtime and that set up Brock Purdy to get them a game-winning field goal. So that's exactly the type of script, you know, the 49ers have had to follow with Purdy. We know Kyle Sanhan is such a guru when it comes to, you know, alleviating pressure, like you've called it, from the quarterback position and allowing them to thrive in a system where, you know, the reads are, I wouldn't say simple, that's kind of a you know, just a bad word to use when it comes to, you know, talking about these schemes in the NFL, especially the 49ers, but easy enough to, you know, be able to just get the ball into playmakers who create ridiculous yards after the catch in that offense. And of course, McCaffrey has been an instant hit there. So, you know, many in Cowboys media didn't like this matchup at all in wildcard weekend last year or divisional round last year. And again, this year, I don't, I can't say I love the matchup with, the 49ers, you know, that downhill running game could still give you a lot of problems. We haven't seen Leighton Vander Esch back on the field yet. Are you going to see him for the playoffs? It's It certainly at the moment seems like it, but, you know, is he going to be ready then for a physical type game as the 49ers bring? And just a bad matchup of, you know, the 49ers 
or the antithesis to the Cowboys offense when it comes to how they treat just, you know, early downs and aggressiveness and how they said, look at third down. The Niners can get you in a ton of second and third and shorts where now you're off balance and you have to play for everything. And, you know, these Cowboys safeties have really struggled in coverage the last couple of weeks. They make up for it with splash plays close to the line of scrimmage, which you can kind of can try to confuse Brock Purdy in that way by playing him down there. But if it's, you know, second and five all day and you got to play for both a streak route, you know, to a Debu Samuel who might be back or Brandon Ayuk or anybody and a handoff to McCaffrey, I think that's the making of a long day for Dan Quinn's defense. And then the Cowboys offense, we know, just based off the Titans game, is playing more for trying to get the third down, which is, you know, a hit or miss type of play, and it's a big gamble. Any given third down, this Niners pass rush can pin their ears back and get you off the field. So, you know, I'm not saying the Cowboys can't avenge last year's loss to the 49ers, that the teams aren't different, or that a revenge game doesn't suit this team well, even because they do seem to get up more for, like, these big emotional games like the Eagles two weeks ago than they do for, let's say, the Titans game. So, you'd have those things working for you as the Cowboys, but still a hell of a matchup to ask for, you know, beating Kyle Sanhan at home, on the road, wherever it comes, in the dome, in the snow. You take it wherever this game comes, and, you know, this 49ers team is going to be a tough out. I think the whole NFL world agrees on that right now. Well, speaking of revenge games, what about if Dallas faces Minnesota? You know, because they beat them. Yeah, I still like this matchup a lot for the Cowboys to be able to beat that the same team twice, and they do it against NFC East opponents all the time. Speaking of how the NFC East, outside of Dallas, fared against Minnesota, the Giants had a real chance to go win that game on Christmas Eve. So, you know, the Cowboys have handled the Giants well. Of course, Philadelphia handled Minnesota pretty well, but and that was so early in the season. You know, again, it almost feels like a whole season to go, as is the case with, you know, this extended NFL regular season, but I like how the Cowboys match up with Minnesota. The other foot of them winning a record amount of one-score games certainly dropped pretty hard this Sunday when they got blown out at Lambeau Field. You know, a quarterback like Rodgers is bound to do that against a team that had been playing with fire by letting pretty much every other team they played hang around. And, you know, the Vikings certainly wouldn't be looked at in the same positive light if they dropped that game to the Colts as well, where it took a record comeback to even get that one in the win column. So, yeah, Cowboys match up very well with the Vikings. I think they understand what the Vikings' defense is going to do to them. You know, it's not a defense that's very multiple or changes looks. So Dak Prescott has been so adept at getting the ball out of his hands quickly, being able to make the reads, and I don't see that changing against the Vikings' defense. So the formula to win that one is, you know, just continue to put up points, and it could be a get-right game for the Cowboys' defense, just like it was in Minnesota as well. So both sides of the ball. Definitely really enjoyed a matchup that the Cowboys could have in a rematch with Minnesota. And then, of course, Dallas versus the Eagles. Uh, this is one I don't think you'd see till the divisional round, maybe the championship game. But you'd have Jalen Hurts back for that one. And you would probably have Lane Johnson back as well. Oh, how quickly the tables have turned with this Eagles team, Mark. I mean... Tell me if I'm wrong, but are they not entering the playoffs in kind of this exact same scenario that the Cowboys were last year? You know, Eagles fans all year have been trying to tell us that these early season wins, they mean so much and you're never going to catch us. And of course, they're going to be able, you know, be the same team come playoff time and they'll still be playing just as well. And now I watched most of their game against the Saints Sunday, and I don't think they're in a position where it's as simple as just putting Jalen Hurts back and expecting, you know, him to cover up all these warts and have suddenly popped up with this team it's not and the big difference from the Cowboys last year is again I'm saying that they cruised to the NFC East title and it, it was hard to turn it back on for the playoffs 
the Eagles by record, you would think they cruised to the title, but of course they haven't. The Cowboys now are still playing for the NFC East crown in Week 18, which is amazing against the Commanders. So they do have that working for them as far as the Eagles do have to, you know, muster up some type of resemblance of going out there to play against the Giants who are locked into the sixth seed. So they may be playing Giants backups. That might might not work in the Cowboys' favor too much, but you know, the Giants being back in the playoffs, I do think they're going to try to take some momentum and play their close rival there in the Eagles pretty well. So we'll see what next week has in store, but it's the last chance for an Eagles team that, again, I think is having major issues outside of just playing without Jalen Hurts to show that they are, you know, the consensus best team in the league, like many have said they are. I think the offensive line is struggling. I think the secondary is being exposed a little bit and giving up plays. So, you know, if Prescott plays his best game again, and I think similar to the blueprint you gave for Cowboys versus Buccaneers, which is a much more likely scenario, play that turnover free game against the Eagles, and it'll be close. It'll come down in the last two minutes again. But, you know, the Cowboys will have a chance against the Eagles in that third meeting. And then let's just go ahead and take a look at some of the wild card teams, even though, I mean, who knows what's going to happen next weekend. But presuming, you know, I like to say this even in my regular life, talking with, let's say, the Department of Motor Vehicles or just regular people. I like to say, barring a defensive foul, just meaning, you know, <laughs> meaning unless some act of God happens, but it. barring a defensive foul, um, Dallas wins the. NFC East number one seed and all that. Let's go ahead and take a look at the wild card opponents. What about three times in a row with the New York Giants? Yeah, my Giants fans friends might hate me for this, but I don't think they're ready for the level of, you know, just intensity and fire and competition of a playoff game, specifically against this Cowboys team. That's how much confidence I have in Dak Prescott's career record against the Giants. Of course, we know he owns the whole NFC East, but especially the Giants, he's just so comfortable back there. He carves them up, and I just don't think they're ready. You know, Kayvon Thibodeau's really come on as their first-round pick, and he uh, drew a lot of criticism on Sunday for doing a snow angel celebration next to an injured Nick Foles, and, you know, you can say whether or not he saw Foles there or knew about it, but nonetheless, it turned into a bad arc for the rookie there, but he's playing great football, and he would really be, you know, one of the only chances to slow down Prescott and the Cowboys' offense, so... You know, you can make the argument for this Cowboys team. Do you trust the offense or the defense more going to the playoffs? Which one are they going to have to lean on more? And, you know, I think it's the offense right now. I think the Titans game was kind of a dial back. Let's just, you know, get out of it healthy and not go all out type of game. And they still were pretty efficient and played well. And the interception off of Henderson's hand shouldn't have happened. You know, we can erase that from memory now. It's all good that you got the win on the road. So I do think you're looking at this team being a defensive team early in the season, but playoff time, it's going to fall much more on the offense. And I can't think of a much better matchup for this offense than maybe what they would see against Minnesota. And if not, definitely against this Giants team. Good story that they're back in the playoffs. Good story just for the NFC East as a whole to be as competitive as it has this season. And the fact that we came on here still talking about Washington as a potential playoff team all the way through week 17. It's just good for you know the competition level of this division. But the Giants story ends there in terms of being ready to face this Dallas team in the playoffs, I think. Okay, and then real quick, uh, Seattle. Man, this one's hard. It's like another team that I haven't seen much of besides just like red zone highlights. And every time they flash back to Seattle, it's like, you know, they're about to attempt an onside kick to, uh, you know, get the ball back and maybe have a chance. Or Geno Smith is, you know, trying to run out the clock and they're able to do it. They just play gritty, tough, close games. And 
you have no idea how they're doing it sometimes, but they just do. And, you know, they target the tight ends in this passing game, and that could be a mismatch against these Cowboys linebackers. So, you know, Seattle could be tough. Of course, the fans, they would get into it. Um, you'd have to think, again, the Cowboys defense against Geno Smith. Can they make that a favorable matchup if Dan Quinn's unit is ready to play their best and, you know, get back to as close to midseason form as they can? And the secondary might have things more figured out by then with guys like Deron Bland and Asan Wright getting these final reps in Week 18 and trying to play their best football going in to where you could hold down Seattle. But that just feels like a weird game where anything can go wrong type of deal, and you won't exhale until the clock hits zero in the fourth quarter, that's for sure. And then the Detroit Lions, um, I, I feel like they would just be so excited to be there, whereas the Cowboys, they've got all the experience. I agree with that, but I think the Lions would find a way to keep that game close with that excitement. I think that early energy is something they could feed off of with Dan Campbell, and you better really affect Jared Goff in the pocket early if uh, if not for wanting this Lions team to hang around. You know, I just think on offense, they take what's given to them so well. It's simple check downs that keep them ahead of the chains, and it's big runs at times. And then you know, defensively, again, I think it's a matchup where the Cowboys offense can have their way. And the need for this to be an offensive-minded football team in the playoffs is certainly there before Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy can draw up. So those things are going for you in a matchup against the Lions. But I would worry just a little bit, not full-fledged like you're playing the 49ers or the Eagles or anything like that and, you know, Tampa Bay with Brady. But, yeah, I just think, you know, the why-not-us mentality of the, of the Detroit Lions, no matter who they face in a potential playoff game, is something to watch out for. And then I think all heck would break loose – if the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers got in. Yeah, two very different ways to look at this, right? It's like, cool story that the Cowboys are playoff teams in back-to-back years. Now go prove that you actually are mature enough to make something of it. And, you know, go prove you can exercise demons by beating Aaron Rodgers or the 49ers, of course, because the last year was playoff loss. But more so, I think Cowboys fans are more familiar with all the heartbreaks to Aaron Rodgers. I know I am for sure and everybody else too. So, you know, can you really prove that this is a deserving playoff team year in and year out by making something of it, even if it means having to beat the Packers, a team that already beat you, and that loss looms large in terms of the Eagles now slipping up without Zaylen Hurts and what the Cowboys could have done better to control their own faith at the one seed, and I think the loss of the Jaguars you know, is one that you'll think about more than the one weeks back in the cold on the road to Green Bay, but still, a team that's beat you, and you better be ready to show the maturity and you know experience to say that it's not going to happen again, but man, I watched Kirk Cousins just get abused by that secondary today, and I'm not saying Prescott isn't a world better than Cousins. I certainly think he is, but it's an athletic, fast secondary, and one that can certainly take full advantage of you know the tips and overthrows and the types of plays that the Titans secondary made against you. So plenty of reasons to worry about the Cowboys. They do have to see the Packers again, but it is a team that you have tape against and that you can adjust and you know, just try to go give them a, the type of four-quarter effort that just seems to never be quite good enough for the Cowboys against the Packers in the playoffs. But we'll, th- we'll think of why this year could be different if the time comes, you know, to play that game against Green Bay. And you'd have Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard in the backfield, presumably for that rematch wherever it would occur. Speaking of Tony Pollard, now the Cowboys went ahead and put him in bubble wrap for week 17 at the Tennessee Titans. Um, But then Micah Parsons, uh, just go put a club on that hand and get out there. Why why didn't they take the bubble wrap approach to Micah Parsons? I think it's a matter of still wanting to use this game 
at a certain level of aggressiveness to really evaluate things and get reps for you know guys that you need to see more from. And I think there was enough trust in this offense to say, yeah, it hurts not having Pollard. I do think, you know, the way the Titans played this game defensively, it was a type of game where you could have gotten one or two really big plays in Pollard. And then again, you would have seen the more lopsided score that Cowboys fans really begging for in this game for one reason or another. So in that way, you miss Pollard, but I think there was just enough trust in Prescott, Elliott, and the rest of the offense to say, you know what, Pollard is so valuable to us the rest of the season. We have enough out here tonight in this specific matchup to go get it done. Whereas with Parsons, you take him off the field and the whole equation changes for the Cowboys defense. You know, it changes the way that you can evaluate the secondary because the pass rush isn't getting home enough. Enough. It changes, you know, the complexion of the whole defensive line and linebackers. I just think he's such a key cog to what everything else falls into place for Dan Quinn's defense that you kind of needed him. And he's just 100% player all the time. You would have had to steal his helmet anyway to get him to stay off the field. So you hope guys can feed off of that and see, you know, oh, if Parsons isn't 100%, but he's still going to go, then I need to go. And, you know, nobody's 100% at this point in the season. So that's it be, becomes a no excuse type of deal for, you know, anybody out there to go play. Unless, of course, they fully need that rest. And we'll see if they actually do give any players a full game of rest in week 18 against Washington. Though that seems unlikely, unlikely since you're playing for the number one seed. So. This is a team that's still, again, going to be dependent on the offense and the playoffs. I just don't think this is a defense that you can count on to be, you know, the true factor that wins you games anymore, especially in the playoffs where everything is ratcheted up intensity-wise. So it's a defense that will do just enough. It'll be opportunistic. It'll try to get get you an extra possession or two for the offense. But this team really needs to lean on the offense come playoff time. And Paul is a huge part of that, so they want him to be ready for it. And that's what I think is – ingenious about the way the Cowboys are constructed is I think the defense is good enough to compensate for the chances that they lose out on by having Dak Prescott play more wide open. It really reminds me a lot of, and people are going to get mad, but really reminds me a lot of Ben Roethlisberger's Steelers teams when he was winning Super Bowls, specifically the 08 team. Like this offense for the Cowboys is one that, you know, any given week, like you can picture them only scoring 17 points and struggling or putting up 40 and being in a laugher. And you're going to need to see more of a 30 40 type performance on offense to have any chance in this postseason. It just, it feels that way. I truly believe it. I feel like, you know, I'm harping on this a lot, but it can't be overstated just how important it is to where the offense needs to be so aggressive in the playoffs and needs to be the type of offense that doesn't light up. It doesn't go multiple drives in a row with, three and outs and punts and tip balls and first down runs that put your way behind the chains. You know, that just can't happen. You really need multiple games of playing where it seems that you, you know, it seems like any given moment they can put up those 30, 40 points. I do think that's really the only path this team has to postseason success. One of the paths to success is going to be cleared by the Cowboys offensive line, but they've, they took a shot in that Titans game, which to me, this is why I was like, I don't care. Just get, you know, get out of the slop in Nashville because this could turn into the body bag. Get game. out of Dodge. Um, Tyler Biotic, he has a high ankle sprain on his right ankle. Do you think, I know, oh, he's going to be back for the playoffs. Everybody's going to be back for the playoffs, but. Do you think that this injury is the mortal wound to the offensive line because they had Terrence Steele 
get injured. Oh, no big deal. We'll just kick Tyron Smith, an all-pro out there at right tackle. You had really left tackle with Tyron Smith. Oh, he tears his hamstring off the bone. Ah, oh, no big deal. Just kick the rookie Tyler Smith out there and go sign Jason Peters. So they've really had a lot of fortune. But do you think the Tyler Biotich injury is the mortal wound? I think the Terrence Steele injury, actually, if we can go back to that, now that we have you know a couple of weeks worth of data on how they've played without him, could be more of the mortal wound. That's in no way at all knocking future Hall of Famer Tyron Smith, the way he's played at right tackle, but he's just a different player out there. You know, Terrence Steele was more to lean on guys, push up the field, get to the linebackers, throwing guys on the ground in the run game. And the Cowboys running backs really took well to that. Of course, Ezekiel Elliott's style is all about that. And, you know, even Tony Pollard doesn't get enough credit for the way he can run physically, you know, between the tackles and behind a guy like Steele. So I don't think the Cowboys running backs have yet fully adjusted to the way now Tyron Smith run blocks out there at right tackle. He's more of the, you know, quick pass set and then to stay engaged on the guy, but not climb as much to the second level and not, you know, just blowing holes in the defense that these running backs can take, can take advantage of. So I've seen that. It's still amazing that, you know, he's even playing the season. And the fact he's playing right tackle was never even a thought really until it came out of necessity. And so good on him for this late in his career saying, you know, I just want to win and we're going to do whatever it takes. And I do think the best chance to win is with this current offensive line, which includes Biotis getting back for the playoffs. That's the asterisk on it. And then keeping Tyron Smith out there, right tackle, and being the same line that you started that Titans game, these other previous games with. But at least we've seen Tyler Smith play some left guard. They've been trying to work it in when they can to be ready for this type of moment. Of course, when they drafted him, they also thought that might be where he plays most of this rookie season. So, if you're not going to get that type of run push and blocking from Tyron Smith at right tackle, the best spot to get it from Tyler Smith is at left guard. So that could really help you out. But it, you know the amount of suffering it took to get him there does hurt you because then you have to see an extended playing time from Peters and Connor McGovern there at center and unnatural position. So it becomes a catch-22 of, you know, we all like what Tyler Smith brings a guard, but he's way more valuable at tackle right now given the current lineup. You can't play him there if you don't have Beattis. So Definitely could be more of that mortal wound, like you said, and type of thing that holds this team back. But they're expecting him back for the playoffs right now, so we'll have to hold out hope for that. Yeah, and you would want Biotic to be at full strength if he comes back because I remember in 2007, this is really what did Dallas in, was heading into Week 17 at Washington, they sat Andre Girard... I believe Flozell Adams um, as well, but Gerard sat. Anyway, so you're starting Pro Bowl center sits, and you had an injury to your left tackle, and then you had week 17, week of uh, the wild card, which was a bye, and then you had the divisional round against the Giants, whose pass rush at that time had finally come together and was ferocious. And Roma was just under pressure the entire game, specifically uh, the last couple of drives that Dallas had to try to win the game. And that's the thing is that could be is if Biotic isn't a hundred percent and he's but he's, you know, able to play and he's gutting it out, that could probably be worse than anything um, relative to 
the production and protection from the offensive line. So that's what I mean is it's just like how many of these uh, of these uh, attri- how much attrition can you take? And the Cowboys are finally showing you know, more of a willingness to get the ball downfield in the passing game and the deep passing concepts are coming together. T.Y. Hilton has been huge there, and he's drawing attention away from C.D. Lamb, who can, of course, also make plays down the field and after the catch. So all these great things in the Cowboys passing game are things that you need to see in the playoffs. But the final piece of that is, can you trust your protection enough to call these deep shots? And without Tyler Biotis and the musical chairs that his injury led to just in the Titans game, I don't know if you can. And that just means more, you know, throw downs again and more chances for the defense that you're pretty much handing to them to get you off the field and keep games closer than they should be. And in the playoffs, that's just not a winning formula. Right. But, uh, you know, we'll be talking about more of that next week on Hidden Yardage after everything is all sorted out in the NFC and with the Cowboys. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the Cowboys' birthdays. Before we get out of here, on Monday, Calvin Hill turned 75 years old, played running back for the Cowboys from 1969 to 1974. He was also a part of uh, like their character development uh, team uh, during Jason Garrett's tenure. And uh, for all you basketball buffs, father of Grant Hill, who played for the Duke Blue Devils and later the Detroit Pistons and Orlando Magic and Phoenix Suns. On Friday, Charles Haley turns 58 years old. He was only with the team from 92 to 96, but he's in the ring of honor because of how excellently he played defensive end and was crucial to those uh, three Super Bowl wins in the 90s. Uh, He turns 58 on January 6th. Uh, Also on Friday, Doug Free turns 38 years old. He played tackle from 07 to 2016, and he's from Manitowoc, Wisconsin. So uh, the making of a swing tackle, I think that series is on Netflix. On Saturday, Brian Baldinger. Yeah, Brian Baldinger with the you know finger and all of that. He turned 62 years old. He was with Dallas from 1982 to 87, and he played guard. Also on Saturday, Rico Gathers, who was going to be the greatest tight end yeah, in the history of the game, turns 28 years old. I don't know who said that, but I definitely fell for some of the Gathers, so no doubt. Yeah, 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 I might have fallen for it, too. More, more than I, way more than I should have. I was, I was young and stupid, and now I'm just older and just as stupid. Nah, but, you know. No, no. It's, now the trick's got to be a little craftier. Uh, they, You know, they don't come in the in the form of seventh-round picks from Baylor who never played football in their lives. Hey, if I can real quick, uh, someone in Cowboys Twitter posed the question this week, if you could add one former player, and this is a question that comes up every year, and it's kind of a fun one, you could add a former player to this team for the playoff run that you think would you know help the most and get you that Super Bowl, who would it be? And with the pass rush not playing as great as it has early in the season – compared to how it did against the Titans. And it did come alive against the Titans, so I'm hoping that's something that continues to trend in the right direction. But even still, defensive line has been kind of a worrisome position. So my answer at the moment was Charles Haley. Definitely Charles Haley, because if you did that, Micah Parsons can go back to just being the utility player on the defense, and you don't have to waste him getting beat down at the line of scrimmage 
on every pass rush. Yeah, I didn't see too many other Haley answers there. I was a bit surprised. There was a ton of Deion Sanders, of course, because of his versatility. Everybody said that maybe he can give you some snaps at receiver again, which is another position need, of course. So, you know, a lot of Deion answers, uh, maybe some other, you know, Michael Irvins or things like that. But, you know, not a whole lot of love on that Twitter thread for uh, Charles Haley, but that, that's where I would go with it. Well, and, and this is why uh, all the analytics people and the grades and all that uh, – why I think they it's a really optimistic moment for trench players like the defensive line, the offensive line, because now at least you, know, you can argue how they do it or whatever, how they grade it and all that, but at least there's metrics and stats and analytics that you can ostensibly prove how valuable these guys are to the success of of their teams. I mean, all Charles Haley had to go off of back in um, the nineties was sacks. And you see the same thing happening really to Demarcus Lawrence where, Oh, well, he doesn't get enough sacks. He's terrible. They did the same thing to Marcus Spears in the mid to late two thousands. Oh, absolutely. You know, with Haley, it's just a matter of being that unblockable from defensive end, you know, you play that close to the line of scrimmage, you make the most immediate impact on the game. You know, we all got caught up with red zone and these wide receiver highlights and runs and fantasy championships coming down to this week. You know, we, we hope you did fine with that Cowboys nation, but this game is still one loss in the trenches and the Cowboys have both learned that the hard way and taken that to their advantage. You know, they've built up this offensive line, but now thanks to some injuries, unfortunately, and it might not be going into the playoffs with the line at full strength. So we talked about, you know, what impact that could have. And in the defensive line, again, it's woken up a little bit against the Titans. I was encouraged for sure, even though they a lot of backup offensive linemen in for Tennessee, but still encouraging. I think they can ride some momentum there. But you had a guy like Charles Haley, who was just unblockable. And, you know, the immediate impact on the game was just so much more than, at least in my opinion, anything that, you know, a Deion Sanders or Michael Irvin would give you if you want to talk about adding a former Cowboys legend to this current team. Yeah, and given that he was from... Gladys, Virginia, the number one question I would have for Charles Haley, if I ever get to talk to him again, is how often did you go to Jersey and where would you recommend that you get a pork roll sandwich so that I may have Mariner's one? Cove in Manusquan. That's where I went when I was home for Christmas. It was beautiful. They, uh, you know, big, small diner, big portions, full Jersey vibe, beach, you know, type signs everywhere. Uh, Mariner's Cove, you've always been a favorite of mine and, uh, you know, it was awesome to get back there. We have one week of regular season football left to get you the sandwich, man. So let's try to make it happen. Yeah, not only that, next week is our 49th episode. And for the wild card weekend will be our 50th episode. So I need to call AARP and see if, if, if <laughs> Hidden Yardage will qualify for an AARP membership. Man, 50 episodes, that's really cool to think about. You know, we thank RJ Ochoa every week for the opportunity to do this. Like I mentioned, RJ gave us some really positive news just about how the network is doing as a whole. I say it all the time. I don't think anybody believes me. I'm not even sure if I believe myself saying this at this point. But when I came to Texas, no intentions of immediately getting back into Cowboys media. I really thought that it was a chapter of my life that I was happy having closed. But I'm so glad I was wrong to myself about that because RJ was persistent. He wanted me back. He, you know, knew what I could bring and we talked about it and worked out a way where it just made sense to fit into, you know, every other schedule that I have in my life. But yeah, no intention to doing this, but yet here we are 50 episodes uh, coming up on 50 episodes into a show that people are caring about. And it's just really surreal to me to, uh, you know, have all these opportunities to 
talk about a game we love and a team we love to fans that care so much and to do it from Texas to home state and to go to a home game last year and just all these great things as a part of, you know, just what football fandom is about. Oh, they're going to have to get out the hearses for me to ever get me to close the chapter on covering the Cowboys. I, I'll send postcards of Cowboys stats to random people if I if it comes to that, you know. You've been listening to the Hidden Yardage Podcast. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. So there it is. Yeah.